Donald attends more than any one of you, including me and the Deacon Thomas. Donald probably misses two times a year, perhaps three. No, he doesn't. He's not a member of St. Anthony. No, he doesn't attend any of our services. What he does is come to beg. And when he leaves here, he leaves with a fair amount of money. Now, you wouldn't hire Donald, those of you who employ people. You really wouldn't. And I admire him. Donald comes most of the time with Patrick. That is, they're on the same bus. And Donald is at that door waiting, particularly for Deacon Tom, but he's waiting for Pat, he's waiting for Peter, he's waiting for the subdeacons. He's here at 7.45 a.m. on the dot. Donald is not grateful. If Deacon Tom happens to be missing a Sunday the next week, Donald wants double and does not hesitate to say so. Donald feels he deserves this. A couple of times, the deacon has actually given him a, a pleasant lecture on that this isn't his responsibility, that he does, that he does this uh, uh, freely. It, he doesn't owe it to Donald. Patrick doesn't owe anything to Donald, and when the deacon's not here, I take his little job on that. What we do for Donald is a good work. Deacon Tom does a good work. Patrick does a good work. Peter does a good work. Nick and Nathan do a good work. Donald loves the breakfast out here when Good Sam has their breakfast during the summer because he praise on them, too. He gives them the opportunity to do a good work. Oh, it got so bad several years ago that Good Sam had to tell him he couldn't solicit the people because Donald's a hard sell. Or I should say he's a hard seller. <laughs> he's tough. Now, we don't know how many times he's had to go see his mother in Los Angeles. And she dies. I mean, she's died. Who knows how many? I mean, Donald believes in the resurrection of the dead <laughs> because his mother has been resurrected many times. And that's always should be worth at least another 20, right? Yeah, because he's got to have bus fare to get there. Well, all that has to do with the epistle this morning. Now, in order to get to the epistle, it's got to be in context because today's epistle is rather dangerous if it is not taken in context. In your bulletin, you have Titus 3, 8 to 15, and that is the epistle that was to be read today. But I need to read you the preceding passage because it's terribly important that you hear this passage in context when the lectionaries, you know, the program by which we have the scriptures that we're supposed to read, when that was done, it was assumed that you would be hearing this day after day, and so you would hear it in context. Unfortunately, we only hear it once a week, so we miss the context. So I'm going to read from Titus 3, and I'm going to start with the fourth verse, and I'm going to read the four preceding verses, or the three preceding verses to what was read today, and here is how it goes. But 
When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is sure, and here was the epistle, I desire that you insist on these things. Titus, I'm giving you an order. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable to everyone. Today I'm going to talk to you about good works and I'm going to insist that you do good works. Why am I going to insist that you do good works? Because that's what St. Paul told Titus to do, and I assume by that all of us who stand here are supposed to insist that you give yourself to good works. Why? Well, they're profitable. I have got a deal for you this morning. Now, if I came in and said to you, I have got a fabulous program for you. I have found a way where you can be incredibly profitable in your portfolio. Would you listen? If I were to tell you how you could just mount up huge piles of profit, you would pay attention. Well, this morning, I am going to show you how you can pile up profit in your spiritual portfolio. Good works will profit. We'll get back to that in a moment. Good works will profit. The context makes it clear it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, that's baptism, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, that's your chrismation. Those are the things that save, but now we need profit if this is going to follow through. And amongst other things, the truth of the matter is that the deacon does a really good work. It's a good work. And by the way, he doesn't do it just for himself. It's on behalf of all of you. It's for St. Anthony. It's for the least to the greatest and those others who contribute to Donald's little war chest. That's how he makes a living. I've seen him in at least three or four shopping centers in the San Diego area. Others have seen him downtown. I've seen him at Mira Mesa. I've seen him at... At, uh, over here at UTC, and I have seen him at Claremont Town Center. Donald goes to work every day. He provides people with an opportunity for profit. Now let's talk about that word profit for a moment. What do we mean, profit? You know, it's an interesting word, by the way. Uh, I, I did this last Sunday, and I hope I don't do it for a while. In the Greek New Testament, the word is ophelimon, or ophelimon. Uh, now, those of you who are into Shakespeare and Hamlet, uh, you remember there's a major character by the name of Ophelia? That's where the word comes from. Her name means help or aid or profit. And we've borrowed that word into the English language for a name, a Greek name. I've known people in my lifetime named Ophelia. It's a nice name. Profit, that's what it means. Profit. You gain profit. You get money, as it were. You get something in your portfolio. This morning, your spiritual portfolio. 
Who gains? Who profits? Well, number one, Donald. Donald profits. But number two, who else profits? Does the deacon profit? Does Patrick profit? Does Peter profit? Boy, I like this alliteration. Patrick profit, Peter profit, priest profit. Those on whom a good work is wrought profit. But so does the one who does the work. Tomorrow morning at roughly 8.30, my wife, Mary Ellen, and our youngest son, Peter, will set out on a good work. They're going to go to Spring Valley, or somewhere out there, that's another world, and spend about four hours with my wife's sister. It is a very difficult four hours. My wife's sister has serious Alzheimer's in addition to having serious cancer. Those four hours have almost no response whatsoever. She occasionally recognizes that Mary Ellen is her sister. She really has no idea who Peter is. When I go, I'm sure she has no idea who I am. You're trying to fill four hours with someone from whom there is no response and who really doesn't want to be cooperative who just has all kinds of things that she sort of wants to do, but none of which you would like to do. It's a good work. What's a good work? Are you paying attention? This is perhaps as important as anything can be. A good work is always going to come at a price. If you want profit, there is going to be a price. If it's just something that you do, it's just convenient, it's nice, it, it it's, doesn't cost you anything, it's not a good work. What's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you maybe money. It doesn't mean you're going to give Donald $10,000. You're not going to give Donald your life savings. You're going to give Donald just a little bit. Donald is a professional beggar. He understands that. But it does cost those who give. Mary Ellen and Peter are not going to give Lorraine money. They are going to give four hours of difficult time. It's difficult. A good work always will cost you either your time or it will cost you some money. It will inconvenience you. Tomorrow night, there is an opportunity for a good work. We're going to do a homeless feeding at 7 p.m. at the Salvation Army. Sometimes there have been as many as 43 people from St. Anthony there on a night to help serve. Last time it was probably the least we've ever had, I would say. Maybe, what, eight that showed up for the homeless feeding. It's inconvenient to go out after you have worked all day. It is not particularly fun, though I would say for the most part, there's a lot of appreciation given to those who serve. Many, many of the, what, 200 that we serve? Uh, some used to be even more. They had to cut it down a little bit. 
but many of them say thank you. Some of them will say thank you several times, and they particularly like it when it's our time to serve because they like Steve Cashew's stuff. I mean, many of them say, oh, we like it when you're here. It's the best we get. It is inconvenient to work all day long, to come home, and then to be either at the brother's restaurant, maybe somewhere between 3.30 and 6.30, and then over at the Salvation Army at 7, and then to, to serve these people. Some of them we have gotten to know fairly well. They come, they're there almost every time. And you begin to understand certain personalities and why they are there. You say, well, some of them aren't deserving. That's irrelevant. Do you know that non-deserving people do deserve to eat? And it is a good work. Now let's talk a little bit more about what a good work is. Last year, on this particular epistle, I gave the homily on this epistle. Once in a while I remember what I do. And I remember my struggle last year was trying to figure out how do I explain what a good work is? What are, what, what can you do? Give me some categories for good works. I can give you illustrations, but it's very difficult to give you categories in general. Why? Do you remember the gospel that we read each year where Jesus is talking about judgment and it's the division of the sheep from the goats? He says to those on his, on his left hand, he says, I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. And I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they say, when did we see that? And didn't do it. But then to those on his right hand, he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And they say, when did we do it? You see, it wasn't premeditated. It was just natural. They just did what, what was needed. That's how you figure out what a good work is. You are confronted in your life with people all around you and they have needs. And what you do is you do that which is either a price or that, that, that takes your time, that takes some effort, and you do what is needed for them. You cannot fulfill every single need that they have. We're not committed to supporting Donald for the rest of his life. We're not going to do that, but we do what is necessary. You do for people what needs to be done. Mary Ellen and Peter do not particularly enjoy this visit to her sister, even though it's her own sister, but it's difficult. Why does she do it? Because her sister needs it, and almost more so, her brother-in-law needs it. He needs some relief. How do you figure out what you can do for a good work? You're going to see need around you all day long. Many times in a given week, you see things that need to be done. Somebody needs help. Somebody is in a distress. And it isn't so much that you go around saying, I need to find a good work today, I need to find a good work today, I need to find a good work today, I'm going to find a good work today, I'm going to do a good work today. Because it normally doesn't happen that way. What happens is, because of the great mercy and love that God has shown you, the mercy that he gave you, the spiritual beggar, you turn around and you do for someone else what is needed for them. 
mercy. I've said this several times before, but some of us who are a little older remember that there was a word fairly often used in the English language, iliomasonary. There was such a thing as an iliomasonary institution, an orphanage, a home for unwed mothers, a poor house. These were called iliomasonary institutions from the Greek word ilios, which means mercy, like Kyrie eleison. Mercy, Lord have mercy. Mercy is to do for someone what that person cannot do for himself or herself. You do it, whether they deserve it or not, it's irrelevant. I lived in Isla Vista for about 25 years next to the University of California, Santa Barbara. It's a very weird place because it's this little isolated square mile that is shielded from the outside world. And very often in the center of town, beggars. 90% of the beggars, no, 98% of the beggars in Isla Vista are going to buy wine or beer. And so rather pompously, I would refuse to give anything until I realized that's irrelevant. I don't give to them because of how they're going to spend it. You just give. I didn't give them a fortune. Just give a little. And you say, well, did you really help them? What am I going to do? Shall I give them a lecture on alcoholism? Or shall I give them a buck or two? I'm not going to give them a fortune. They need money. They're poor. Folks, I came to the place in my life living there where I did what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said to do? It's what the deacon does. Jesus said, give to him who asks. Jesus didn't say, give to him who asks if he deserves it. Jesus didn't say, evaluate his personality and then give if appropriate. He said, give to him who asks. He was talking about beggars. Read the context. Give to him that asks. That's pretty simple, isn't it? So, what my exhortation to you today is, profit, profit. You need spiritual profit. You need to lay up treasures in heaven. How do you do it? By sending up tens of jillions of prayers? That's wonderful and that's nice and you need to do it. Well, maybe not jillions, but you need to send up a lot of prayers, okay? But also, how do you lay up treasure in heaven? You give to those who ask. You do good works. You do those things that are costly to you in your time. You do those things that are costly to you in your money. You give. You do the good work. And whether Donald remembers it or not, it's irrelevant. Donald may not have one ounce of appreciation. But God remembers it. And as it were, every Sunday morning, cross off a mark, enter the ledger, treasure laid up today, profit. These things are good and profitable. Are you with me on the last line? I insist that you do good works.